You're listening to the Influencer Podcast, episode number 21. In last week's episode, Jasmine Starr shared how to resist conformity and left us with actionable steps to rework our social media strategy. This week, TV, radio host, and influencer Kelly Rizzo shares how she took her love and passion for food and transformed it into a successful brand, and how she uses the power of digital platforms and her skill set in front of the camera to grow and influence. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. Each week, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist and New York Times bestselling publicist takes you behind the scenes with successful influencers, bloggers, and industry elites in conversation to share how they engage, persuade, and grow their unique influence. Her mission is to share exclusive insider tips, wisdom, and action-based tools to help you strengthen, monetize, and build your own industry-leading influence. Hi, influencers, and welcome to this week's episode. Joining us today is the fabulous Kelly Rizzo, the rocker chic host of Eat Travel Rock TV, which is the popular on-demand entertainment series where she goes behind the scenes and off the cuff with master chefs and other creative industry heavyweights while traveling the world. You can also find this Chicago native coast to coast as a food, travel, and lifestyle expert and influencer featured everywhere from ABC's Fab Life to VH1's Big Morning Buzz live with Nick Lachey. Her mission is to bring the best of food, travel, and music together. And just last year, Kelly was chosen, along with five other journalists worldwide, to travel to Japan to explore the Mia Prefecture before they hosted the G7 Summit. Kelly has worked with brands including Maven, Booking.com, Corona, Virgin Hotels, Swiss Deluxe Hotels, Swiss Airlines, City Chase, Kipton, Lamb, HP, Lexus, and so many more. Kelly's infectious personality, love of food, and and curiosity of the world around her makes her following really unique and her travels inspiring and entertaining. Kelly brings about a really cool perspective to social media branding in that she has been able to pair her Sicilian roots and love of food and travel into a successful career on and off camera. I got to meet Kelly, gosh, over five years ago now in Nashville, Tennessee through mutual friends where, of course, music and food were the main topics of conversation. So obviously, we hit it off with our commonalities and have been following each other's evolution ever since. I am so lucky to call her a friend. Another common thread is that we are now now both living in LA with our handsome leading men while navigating this new age of digital media. I can't wait to peek inside Kelly's world today with you guys to get a unique perspective on her influence in front of and behind the screen. So welcome, Kelly. It is so great to have you with us today. Wow. Thank you, Julie. That is one heck of an intro. Hopefully I can live up to it. Even, even 10% I'll be, I'll be pleased with. I have no doubt that you can. Um, (laughs) I just want to dive on into this. So I want to start from the beginning of your Sicilian roots and how that kind of really inspired you to get into this world of, you know, really influence before influencer marketing, before blogging, before whatever you want to call it was even a thing you were doing this. So I want to know how you went from Sicilian girl in Chicago to eat, travel, walk TV to now living in Los Angeles and how you've been able to kind of fuse all of this together. Oh, well, yeah, it's been a long journey, of course, and very rewarding, very interesting along the way, I guess. And I started out kind of a million miles from this type of profession um, way back in the day. You know, I've I've actually been a realtor for 17 years. A lot of people might find that surprising. Um, and, you know, my dad was born in Sicily. And so I grew up with this very kind of unique, diverse background where my dad was, you know, fresh off the boat Sicilian and my mom was, you know, homecoming queen girl from Indiana. So it was a very unique background. Um, and so I had those, you know, like kind of down home American roots on one end and then a very like ethnic background on the other. And I identified much more with my dad's side and I kind of became obsessed with, especially the food aspect at a very early age. And my grandma's an amazing cook. And so I always kind of tagged along with her in the kitchen and tried to learn as much as I could. And as a child, usually a lot of kids aren't eating, you know, snails and raw clams and rabbit and stuff like that when they're, (laughs) when they're kids. And I was, and I think that kind of expanded my palate a little bit and gave me a little bit more of a sophisticated palate, um, from a very young age. And then I didn't really do a whole lot with it for many years, 
um, except for just loving food and eating an insane amount of food. And I kind of had this crazy high metabolism as a kid, so I could eat everything I wanted in sight. And all my friends kind of made fun of me for it. And then I, you know, just had a professional career as a realtor for many, many years. And after a few life changes, you know, like the market crashing, you know, in the let's say late 2008 to 2010, um, along with a divorce, I'm like, you know, I just need to reinvent myself. I just want to change. I'm burnt out on real estate. You know, I have a kind of a new fresh start and I'm like, what am I really passionate about? What do I love and what can I speak to? And it was food, travel and music. And I just started a blog and I started writing and people kind of took to it. And I was a little surprised at first because I'm like, hmm, I never got good grade in writing in college or high school. <laughs> I'm like, so now the fact that people were enjoying my writing, I was like very thrilled. And I knew that ultimately I wanted to be more on camera because I did do a lot of on-camera stuff with the real estate background, like with HGTV and, um, and networks like that. So I'm like, how can I translate this to to on camera and to the screen. And I teamed up with my producer at the time, um, who before she worked with me, she was a producer for the Oprah Winfrey show for seven years. So she had an amazing TV background. And then we just started creating our content and it turned into eat travel rock TV, which was more Chicago based in the beginning. And these last, this last season or so, the last year is really taken on a whole new level. And, you know, I've been to Japan and Switzerland twice and going back again next week and, um, you know, traveling all around the country and it's kind of just evolved into this crazy thing and it's a hustle, but it's amazing and it's fun and it's just, it's crazy. (laughs) Well, and what I find to be so cool about what you did is you were kind of like ahead of the game before you probably even realized that you were ahead of the game, especially from the digital sense of like knowing that you have this blog platform, but knowing that you needed in in order to really expand it to how you have expanded it thus far, putting it more into a digital and video platform. And, you know, you just taking, you just happen to authentically and genuinely love being in front of the camera. You're great in front of the camera. But do you think that doing that has allowed you to grow differently as an influencer today, kind of knowing what you know now with how, you know, every brand's wanting to see more video content and that sort of thing? Yeah. And that's a very good point because I didn't, think of it in terms of, you know, influencer marketing or using it to help brands really, or work with brands in the beginning, I started doing it. This was maybe almost four years ago now, um, where I just, I, I knew that I wanted to create the video content to share my passions and to kind of grow an audience to relate with them and to, um, kind of have them look at me as like their foodie traveling, um, you know, music loving best friend who they can kind of just relate to. And I can kind of translate my world to them through, you know, through video. And at the time I just, I never thought of it as, Oh, this is something that, you know, down the road in 2016, 2017, that brands are going to want and I mean, I started doing this when Instagram was, you know, still not even as big as it is now. And so, um, it, it's great now that you're right. That kind of, I, I became ahead of the curve because now when brands are wanting video content, a lot of other influencers maybe have never been on camera. They don't, um, you know, maybe sometimes they're like, well, I'm more comfortable in the in blogging, I'm more comfortable just on social media. So it is nice to have really kind of harnessed this, you know, the video capabilities for a long time now and to have my crew in place and to have a very professional crew that's obviously supported by my producer who was with Oprah. You know, it's great to have all this in place uh, now when brands are really starting to look towards that direction. Absolutely. And really also having, you know, like, a media deck and a kit and B-roll that you can show them. Um, I know just in my background of PR, it's like, that's the one thing before you book someone on TV is that the producer always asks you, 
well, you know, do you have a deck? Can I see them? You know, do you have previous interviews? Do you have a previous segment that you can show me so I can get their feel, like their vibe and like how they feel being on, on TV essentially, or on a digital platform. Um, so, you know, you have this massive deck, you know, and like index (laughs) of content that you can now share with that. Um, how important do you think that it is, you know, in regards to a media kit or press kit for an influencer. And if someone doesn't have that for themselves right now, um, they may actually have just like a a press kit, but not a digital press kit that really kind of shows them in front of the camera. Do you have any tips on how they could create something that shows a producer or someone what it's, what they need to be seen as in front of the camera? Yeah. And, and you're right. It is, I think, critical to, um, to advertising yourself, to marketing yourself and to pitching yourself to, you know, whether it's an influencer company or a producer or whoever it is. And mine is pretty diverse where it does, you know, has links to blogs, but then it also has links to a ton of video content. It's funny because I have so much content over the last several years. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I hope I'm not overloading these people with so much content. It's like, oh, you want to see how I am on camera? Well, here's 700 links. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, like here's 500 hours of content. And so the best thing to do is if you have a lot of content out there, um, you know, put together a best of reel and have that as, you know, a link or some sort of cool kind of uh, you know, icon, like in your, in your media kit, in your press deck. And, you know, I have different media reels for different types of opportunities, I guess, if I'm, you know, being pitched for, you know, to host something at a music festival, I have a reel and I have other links that I send that are specific to that, um, that shows me interviewing musicians and working at a music festival. If I'm doing something more in the food space, I have, you know, links of me on Fox talking about the Michelin awards or, you know, interviewing chefs and same thing with travel. Like you, you pick things that are specific to, and you could have multiple reels based on if you do have multiple areas of expertise. If you are just a travel blogger, then if you don't have a lot of on-camera experience, I'm sure that there's things that you have done, even if it's an Instagram video or something that you can put into a quick, like, you know, doesn't have to be professionally edited. I mean, something that looks good, but that's quick and to the point of showing you at least on camera for, you know, a few seconds here and a few seconds there. Um, if you're trying to get some sort of opportunities where a brand does want to video or, you know, other types of digital content. And now with experts being, you know, on TV all the time and getting certain TV segments, I mean, you might work with a brand that wants you not only to do Instagram and blogs and, and things like that for you, but they might want to put you on a local, you know, full TV show to talk about the brand and be like their ambassador. And if that's the case, like they want to make sure that you are good on camera. And so it is, I think, critical to have that as a part of your, your media kit and everyone. And I, I've told several friends that haven't had a lot of on-camera experience. I'm like, I know you've done something. You definitely, you did this, you did this, you did this little video where, you know, you helped create a recipe. It's like, just throw that together, put it into like a quick little reel and at least have that linked in your press kit. So at least they have an idea of what you can do on camera. And I think you just, there's three things that you just talked about that I think are so vital. Um, the first being, you know, if you don't have anything, you know, all you have to do, like a Facebook live, a YouTube, you know, you know, there's so many easy ways in which we can put ourselves on camera now to show something. And then I loved how you talked about how you diversify your media kit, because a lot of times I think that people will just kind of have one general media kit. And, you know, let's say that you're, you know, maybe, you know, you're an influencer who focuses on beauty, lifestyle, and food, and you're really, you're, you're pitching or you're responding to a food brand, you're not going to want that press kit to be all beauty, you know, because then it's not going to align with, they can't envision you essentially 
converting for them and selling their stuff. So I loved how you talked about how you have kind of different different kits based off of what that person, that brand or that outlet really needs from you, which I think is so right. key. Yeah. Um, and sorry, Julie, I just want to clarify one thing really quickly. Yeah. I, I, I meant, uh, it doesn't have to be professionally done or you can just throw it together. I didn't mean <laughs> like you can literally just throw it together. I mean, you don't have to like hire somebody, you know, a professional crew to come in and shoot something and edit it. Um, but whatever you do, anything you're sending to a brand should always still be as professionally done as possible, right. um, you know, edited on actual editing software, you know, whether you're using iMovie or something and putting it together. It doesn't have to be long, but it still should look nice and at least put together professionally. I just meant you didn't have to like hire, hire. somebody from the outside. Exactly. Or, you know, if you're someone for me, like I'm not great at editing, so I do have to hire that out. And I always felt like, you know, early on in my career, like if you don't have a big budget for your blog or for your, you know, the brand that you're trying to build online, I would even wait essentially. Cause I knew I was like, if I want this to be the best quality possible, it doesn't have to be someone super expensive, but right. if I need to not go to Starbucks for the next, you know, three weeks to like set aside 75 bucks or whatever for this person to edit this, then I'm going to do that. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. And there's so many, um, ways now to even find editors. There's, um, a online site that I use called upwork.com that you can find. I mean, if you don't know, like a professional editor, you can find editors literally from all around the world and they all have different prices and they'll send you examples and everything that they can do. And so much of just little things that I need or, or little things that I know that, that people have need, they have found that need on Upwork. So it's very easy to find you know, video editors and graphic designers or, you know, whatever you need in this day and age too. Yes. It's worth the usually small investment that it would take to do something like that. I agree. Um, so thank you so much for those takeaways. Those were awesome. Um, my friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business for sponsoring the show. My friends, as creators, we work so hard creating our content. So we don't want to leave it up to things like an algorithm to determine how successful our online brands and businesses can be. And that is why I love Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs like myself build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. And I know they can help you too. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, your passions, your experiences into enriching offers like online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, communities, personalized coaching, and so much more. What I love about Kajabi is that not only does it make it super easy to use, but they don't take a cut of your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. You don't need a huge audience to make a sustainable income online. I talk about that all the time here on the podcast. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures without having hundreds of thousands of followers, and you can too. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business Go to kajabi.com slash influencer. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash influencer. Go to kajabi.com slash influencer and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. I would love to know because you 
started your career in the Midwest in Chicago, and now you are in LA. I would love to hear from you because I think it's really unique as the predominantly most of the guests on the show so far have, they may not have originally been from the West Coast, but they're at least living LA-based now or or New York-based. What do you think is the difference between this influencer world, social media marketing, influencer marketing, blogging in LA versus the Midwest? It's so interesting because I've had people ask me recently, like, oh, how do you feel it is working out in LA versus in Chicago? And I can't say I've, I've felt that much of a difference because so much of what I do is obviously digital and online based and travel based anyway, where it's not like I'm, you know, you, you've got a typical nine to five in one place or the other, you really notice a difference on a daily basis. Um, a big reason, aside from love, why I moved to LA is obviously in the TV realm of of my career, there's a lot more opportunity. And I really felt like I had hit a ceiling in Chicago with um, with what I could do on camera wise. And, you know, I'd already been on every morning show and every daily show that there was and and you know there there aren't a lot of production companies and networks that are that are chicago based so i knew that ultimately to take this where i wanted to go which is ultimately to have a larger network show i needed to be in la and as far as the other aspects of my career um you know like the blogging the social media um you know, events, I'm, I'm constantly traveling anyway. And, you know, if a company hires me, like just last week, um, I was hired by a PR company to go to Summerfest in Milwaukee and report on, um, you know, the band Perry playing and do a bunch of other, um, you know, like backstage interviews and, and all that good stuff with my crew. So, you know, I had to travel for that. So that, I haven't really felt a shift being in one place or the other. Um, but I will say that being in Chicago, I did have a great network and circle of other influencers and bloggers, especially in the food blogger scene. And there is a very tight knit community in Chicago with that, especially even all the PR companies and the marketing companies and all the restaurant groups and all the food bloggers, like everyone, everyone knows everybody. So I did have a great support system there. And, you know, you're always invited to certain events and then you go and you have all your friends there with you. And, and that was always, that was really fun. And so I don't really have that community in LA yet, but I feel there's also a very strong knit community out here. So I'm sure it's like once I have the time to tap into it, it'll, it'll be equally as great. Yeah. And I, and I, I loved, cause you kind of ta- um, tapped in on this here and then you said it before about really starting local. And, um, I love that you really drove home that idea. Um, cause not only did that build up your experience and your press deck, essentially, you know, to hit those local outlets, but that allowed you to then be able to grow outside of that. And so I think there's a lot of times that influencers, they just want to go zero to, you know, a hundred without kind of doing those steps. You know, they just want to, well, why can't I just do the segment on Good Morning America? It's like, well, you haven't even done the segment like at your local station in St. Louis yet, you know? So like, let's back it up a little bit. And, um, you know, you kind of have to, that's where like the magic I think really happens. You know, that's where you're you know, you're eating the crap sandwich every day. And like, you know, that's where you're learning and you're failing and you're reworking and you're doing all of that. And I think that that's really where like, you know, the experience starts to hold. So then when you come to LA, it's kind of like, yeah, here I am. And here's my massive experience and all this great work. And you still get to travel and do it everywhere as well as like building the network here. Exactly. And what's interesting is that when you're in a local market, and I mean, granted, Chicago's you know, not a small town, um, but when you can build even, let's say, f- forgetting even television, um, but just press in general, like let's mentioned or somebody does um, a piece on you in a local magazine or a local newspaper or a really popular local blog or something, um, like recently I was featured in Michigan Avenue magazine, which is a big Chicago publication is their travel queen. Like that's local, but then you can take that press 
to national markets or New York or LA. And, you know, you can put that in your and say, like, look, I was just named Chicago's XYZ, and or I was just featured in this huge Chicago magazine. That still holds a lot of weight. Absolutely. Absolutely. So even though you're, if you're building it up on your in your local market, but you want to move to a bigger market, it's still, even though you didn't have that national press, it's still great press to have. Right. All and that's what, that's what gets you in the door, you know, and that's what's going to make you stand out among, you know, the saturation, which we're going to talk to, uh, we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Um, what I also think is so unique about your perspective of influence is how you've been able to kind of fuse radio, TV, online blog, you know, everything that we've talked about to really develop and share your brand. Why do you think this diversification is so important in the social media world that we now live in today? Well, for me, I find it very important for a couple of reasons. First, it's, I like doing things that for, let's say competition wise, um, kind of separate you from the pack. And so many people are so focused only on Instagram, whether it's because they're strong as following or because, um, they haven't, you know, maybe they, they, they're, they don't have a strong on-camera presence or on the radio or things like that, where they just haven't fostered those other types of outlets. And for me, I always want to be able to offer as much as possible to a brand. So when I go to a brand and whether they come to me or I go to them and like, we're working on, you know, coming up with a project or working on a deal when I can offer other things that a lot of other influencers can't, such as, my web series, such as other TV appearances, my weekly radio segment, there's a lot more on the table that A, it kind of separates you from the pack and B, it gives you a lot more leverage to build out a campaign and say, you know, oh, okay, you want it. Like some people are like, oh, I can do Instagram and blog. Well, that's X amount of dollars. It's like, okay, I can do Instagram and a blog and give you a shout out on radio and um, work you into maybe we can build out a, an e-travel rock TV episode, or I've got this upcoming um, live TV appearance and I can talk about your product in my next travel segment. Or if it's, let's say a liquor company, it's like, oh, I'm going to do a cocktail segment. I can build you into that too and do, you know, all these other things. So to me, it's very important to have just so many different things that I can offer because a you can end up <laughs> making more money on the project, but it also just makes you look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so to offer something different than what other influencers are doing, I think is huge. And, um, nine times out of 10, I have brands coming to me saying, Oh my God, I didn't know you did all that. That's, that's amazing. Wait, so we can do a radio segment. Too? Oh, this is, this is great. And then usually I'll go above and beyond even what they were pitching me in the first place. Like they're like, Oh, we just want an Instagram post. I'm like, well, I can do this too. And they're like, Oh, okay. well, we didn't know. That. Right. We didn't exactly. even know that that was an, well, that was an option. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I think coming to the table with that is so important because a lot of times maybe what the brand may think they want or need is not always what they want or need in terms of what you can offer them as your own brand. Exactly. And I think a lot of times with influencers, and this is kind of, you know, a lot of the reasons why, um, with my next question, cause we're going to get into really knowing your worth and valuing, but a lot of the devaluation really comes from not, not believing in yourself enough to have that conversation, not really knowing how to have the conversation, not knowing how to pitch, being scared to respond, being scared to say no, being scared to ask questions, um, not, you know, kind of staying small and just kind of taking what they're offering you. And right. really, you know, if you've got, if you've got these other amazing qualities and opportunities that you can offer, then you have to share that because they're not just going to know it. And even if it's in your media kit, you know, you kind of have to remind them as well. So um, I, that's such a fantastic tip. I'm glad that you brought that up. Thank you. And I also want to talk now, because um, we just kind of started that, about knowing your worth. How have you or how do you now navigate your rates and your value for your work as an entrepreneur? How have you been able to figure that out for yourself? And how do you, you know, um, 
allow that to grow with you as your brand grows? Because this is something that a lot of people get very uncomfortable talking about. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because I have, as, as I mentioned, a, a circle of friends, especially in Chicago, that we're all very open about kind of what we charge for, you know, a blog or Instagram. And, you know, it, it shouldn't really be this uncomfortable topic or a secret necessarily. I mean, I'm not saying you should advertise it, you know, like right on your forehead, but it's, it's something that I think, you know, doesn't need to be really stigmatized. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a big difference between, um, you know, just if somebody, one person could have 50,000 followers and another person could have 50,000 followers. And that doesn't even necessarily mean that they should be charging the same amount. I mean, sometimes one person might, um, end up doing professional photography for everything. And one person might not, one person might have, I think there's also a difference and Julie, I'm sure you can agree with this, um, is there's a difference between quality and quantity of followers too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could have 50,000 followers and, or let's say somebody that has a hundred thousand followers and they're not that engaged or, you know, they, who knows what the quality level is, but then somebody could have 20,000 followers and they're followed by a ton of verified accounts. They have very influential people that follow them. You know, they could have followers that have millions millions of followers and they're engaged with their content. So, um, I think there's a big difference between quality of followers and quantity as well. Um, so one person that let's say you could have two people that have the same amount of followers, but one just, I mean, it sounds bad, but like has better followers and that person could have more of a value per post. Um, same thing with a blog. Um, some people, you know, you might have the same amount of subscribers, but you know, one person maybe puts way more work and effort into their blog post versus the other person who maybe throws up some copy. Um, so I think that, um, it, you can't completely measure it based on like follower number, but you know, there are a lot of people out there that kind of give you, um, and, and just being in the business, you kind of like learn like approximately what a rate would be on Instagram per how many followers you have. Um, but with me, you know, I do have a rate card and I use it as kind of a, a loose, you know, starting point of, of what I would charge because, um, sometimes, you know, not every social media post is the same. Sometimes somebody wants you to literally go to a mountaintop for a picture. And sometimes you can take a picture in your home, you know, there's, it's very different. So you have to weigh those items. And then for other things that I offer, such as whether it's radio integration or my, or filming any travel rock TV episode, once again, it depends on how much work is going into it. If you're hiring a crew, um, but knowing your worth, I think is important because I, there's still a balance between trying to get the deal done and like discounting your rate enough to at least get the deal done. Cause obviously you'd rather have a deal than no deal. Um, but without, devaluing yourself to a point where all of a sudden, like you're either being taken advantage of, or you start to lose confidence in like, Oh, you know, I really wanted X amount, but you know, I settled for $10 and I guess now, you know, you never want that to happen either. So there's kind of a fine line between getting the deal done and valuing or devaluing yourself. Yes. And, and really, cause you, you mentioned it kind of earlier when you when you were diving into this question, really also valuing the cost of your production, the cost mm-hmm. of your time, the cost of your equipment, you know, all of those things have to come into play. It's not just about the post. It's about, you know, what are the requirements? What are what are what is every step that you're gonna have to take to produce the best quality project or campaign for this brand. So then they become repeat customers because you just don't want to one and burn either. Um, right. So, you know, how do you do that? And what, what is really the value of that? Like you said, if they're going to ask you to go on top of a mountaintop or if they're going to be super specific about, you know, um, 
the style of the photo, how the product is placed in the photo, you know, could there be a potential for reshoots? Like if, if that's, if that could be a potential with, with the deal, then you have to take that into consideration as well. And that's something that I've noticed with myself and with a lot of clients and students of mine that a lot of times you really don't know how micromanaging the brand is going to be until you kind of dive in there. And then as you, as you go on to do this over the years, you do learn it. So you know, someone like you who's been doing this for a long time, you're going to probably know the brand really well, or at least know yourself and know your worth really well. But with a lot of these influencers starting out, they'll just throw a number out just to kind of get something without really taking into consideration all of the work that's going to go into it. So I think that, that really, you know, knowing your worth, but then also knowing the value of the production is super key too. So I love that you, that you really brought that up. Cause I think that a lot of people don't take that into consideration. Right. Um, well, talking about collaborations, um, let's dive into that a little bit more. Um, I know that you love teaming up with some fantastic brands, and I mentioned it in the in the intro. And one thing that you had told me, which I which I found really cool, was that you like to work with brands who you know will repost your content. I would love to know how you make this. I don't want to say a requirement, but kind of like how you make this a thing, because I know that reposting is so key to growth. It's what's going to allow their followers to become engaged with you. So I would love to know how you make this idea happen and what kind of growth have you seen from, you know, collaborating with great brands who really value you and will repost the content. Yeah. And it's, and it's not something that, you can always, you know, you don't want to demand it. You want to request it. And, um, depending on what it is, like for instance, there's a lot of brands that you end up working with that, you know, like will automatically, let's say it's a certain fashion brand and they'll, they're always reposting people that they're working with. Like that's almost kind of like freebie and you're just excited about it because they've got a lot of followers and they're going to repost you. Um, but a lot of times, um, depending, for instance, with Eat Travel Rock TV, if I'm working with a certain brand, um, and like, for instance, there's a food brand in Chicago that I do a lot of work with. And I make sure that whenever we film, um, a video for them, that it's like in our agreement that they will also share on their social media. Um, so, and a lot of times it's not just the brand, because if there's a there's a brand that's involved that maybe the sponsor, but they're also filming at a restaurant. Um, you also want to tell the restaurant too, like you repost this on your social media. So sometimes you can even get multiple people reposting it than just, you know, let's say the one brand. Um, but it's just something that I, I kind of request and I ask for, but knowing that, you know, you know, it might, let's say it's a brand that has 10 million followers or something like, you know, it might not be reposting it. Um, but it's still something that you at least ask for. And then you make sure that you do everything that you can to at least like hashtag properly and everything. So at least they're going to notice it. And if they, there is a chance to repost it, then at least you've done everything you can do to like get their attention. Yep. That's, oh, that's such a good takeaway. And it's something that I think it sounds so like, oh, well, yeah, common sense. But I think that it's something that in the midst of getting that deal or, you know, like landing the collaboration or landing the, you know, the first opportunity to connect with the brand, you just completely overlook it. But right. yet it's something that could be so essential and so vital to your brand getting the awareness that it needs as well. Um, I would love to know what are your take on giveaways? So I haven't done many. I think I've done a couple and I know so many people that have grown so dramatically, um, from doing giveaways. And I think if you utilize it properly, it's an amazing tool. Um, I just don't think it really fits my voice and aesthetic very much. Um, because especially on like Instagram, a lot of my voice and, you know, like just the way my pages and my brand, it just doesn't feel very authentic for me to do it because I'm not as much of, let's say an engaged, like blogger type of personality as a lot of other people are. And, um, but sometimes you can find a very strategic partnership that 
can work really well. Like just recently, I th- only giveaway I can actually even think of that I've done recently was with anyone that's from the Midwest. You've probably heard of Portillo's, which is like the most famous, you know, like hot dog yes. Italian mm-hmm. cheeseburger. And I was doing a giveaway for like a gift card for them. And I didn't even think it was going to be that big of a deal, but apparently people freaking love Portillo's. And not only did I mention, you know, do the Instagram giveaway for it, but I also mentioned it on my weekly radio segment in Chicago. I said, Hey, go to my Instagram and any, you know, 101 WKQX listener that, um, that enters the contest will get like two entries. If you say like 101 rocks or something like that. And so I use these very specific, kind of rules. Um, and then I had, you know, hundreds of people from the radio that entered as well as, you know, and I ended up having like 2000 entries or something. And it was this crazy giveaway. And because it was very food based and it was Chicago based, it was very strategic. You know, if I did maybe like a yoga mat giveaway or something, probably nobody would enter and it would not have been successful. But if every once in a while you find one that just aligns with your brand, like so perfectly and you can get it the proper exposure, then I think it's great. I just don't trust my brand as much to be a regular kind of giveaway type of brand. But for people that really work it, I mean, it is incredibly rewarding. Well, and I think that that is really just attributed to you knowing your audience so well and knowing what they want and really like what's going to convert for you. And that's probably why that one giveaway that you just explained did so well, but you also know that something like a yoga mat giveaway may not do so well. Um, right. So that's where I yeah, see. Yeah, my audience really loved uh, getting $200 worth of hot dogs. Oh, well, of course. That's what, that's what my audience wants. <laughs> that's what they want. Um, but it converted well and it was a good, it was a win-win for everyone. Um, what I see happening too with, with some of the giveaways is that, like you said, they, they can be very rewarding if you, if you, you're doing them for the right reasons. But I think that the oversaturation of them or all these like loop giveaways that you see all the time, it's just, right. it gets a little, a little too much. And I don't know how that's going to really help the engagement long-term. Um I guess we will find out. Um, So uh, on to um, sponsor sponsoring posts on Instagram. What has been your experience with this? And is it a yay or a nay for you? Um, And and you mean like when you're just working with a brand to do a sponsored post? Um, Well, like boosting posts. Have you ever done that? Were you? Yeah. Oh, like promoting your posts. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what? I haven't on Instagram. I have done it on Facebook sometimes. Um, and I know that now they use the same platform. Um, and I've had decent results with it on Facebook, but on Instagram, I've actually never done it. And I've heard from a couple people that uh, my close friends that have tried it, that it actually hasn't really worked for them. Mm. And it's been, it's one of those things where I've had some posts pop up where it says like, here, promote this post for X amount and get, you know, so much more visibility. And let's say it's a post that's actually already done pretty well and it's been tempting to do it, but then I get nervous. I'm like, wait, does this repost itself all over again and start from zero or does it keep building on what the existing post already is? And so I just, I haven't, I haven't done it cause I've almost been like concerned cause I've heard that it hasn't worked too well for people. Yeah. And I think that I've been noticing on my feed, um, just my, is it timeline or feed? I think it's called, yeah, my feed. Like when I just scroll through on Instagram, a lot of the posts I'm starting to see are sponsored. And I think what's happening because like you said, Facebook does own Instagram. And so whatever they're whatever Facebook ads they're doing over on Facebook, they can obviously click a button to have it go on Instagram as well. But mm-hmm. to me, they're, I'm really interested to see kind of how it evolves because I don't know if it really is converting for people in terms of you may get more likes, but how is it actually converting whatever it is that you're promoting? You know, is it helping you, you know, uh, sell more courses? Is it helping you sell, uh, get more clicks to your website? That sort of thing. So I think it's going to kind of be interesting to see, to see that. And really, I think we're going to start, unfortunately, seeing more and more of it because now that Facebook owns Instagram, I'm pretty sure that 
if uh, Instagram falls along with how Facebook did, it, they're going to make the algorithm as they have harder and harder and harder for us to see things unless we pay for them. So, right, and the algorithm is just horrific, and it's you know turned most people's engagement into you know fifty percent or less of what it was before, and. You know, if if a sponsored post or boosting a post, um, if it works and it does get, but but it's like, does it get more eyes to it that are really engaging with it, or does it just have more people see it? You know what I mean? So ultimately, is it better to have five hundred likes on something where people are really paying attention to it, or a thousand likes where? Uh, you know, they're not really engaged people. I, I, I don't know yet. And I think you're right. Like we will see as time goes on. And I do think it's something that I probably at least want to like try on a post and kind of see what happens. Um, maybe not try it out on, on a, you know, where brands actually, uh, sponsoring the post. Um, but it would be interesting to kind of see how it plays out. I'm sure there's people that really have kind of mastered this already, but I am not one of those people yet. Well, and I've even, um, I've been told, um, and I've, I've actually talked to brands about it myself as well, that brands are starting to invest. It's like part of their campaign. So they'll say to the influencer, okay, we're going to pay you X amount, and then we're going to give you 10% of what we're paying you just to put towards a boosted post. Right. So um, right. we may be and seeing... Yeah, I was just saying that's something that a lot of people... Um, can't reserve part of your money up front to go towards like Facebook or Instagram marketing or even YouTube marketing, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and the nice thing about the YouTube marketing is if you use like Google AdWords to boost a YouTube video, those are actual like real view people watching your video. I mean, they have to watch the video for like more than 30 seconds or something for it to even count towards a view. So you know, you are paying for some of those, but they are actual people watching your video and seeing your content. So, um, at least on YouTube, I know it's a kind of, it's a good model. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I want to talk, uh, trends a little bit. Um, what do you think, um, well, what is coming up for you in 2018 and then what trends do you think we're going to be seeing more of in the industry as we get into 2018? I think that, let's say starting with the social media aspect of it. And obviously Instagram's so huge. I think it's only going to get bigger. And I think the kind of introduction over the last year of Instagram stories is kind of huge because, you know, I'll spend more time watching people's Instagram stories now than I will scrolling through my feed Mm -hmm. because it's really a more authentic way to kind of engage with somebody and see what's really going on. Um, and I think that's probably going to get even bigger And whether or not it's proper or appropriate to charge solely for Instagram stories, I think maybe the jury's still out on that one. Um, But if you do, it'll probably get even more so. And if you haven't yet, you probably will be able to soon. Um, And that along with Instagram Live and Facebook Live, I think those are going to grow even more. I'm seeing many more brands incorporate that now and many more brands um, are wanting influencers to do, you know, like for instance, when I go to Switzerland next week, I'll probably be doing a Facebook Live with Switzerland tourism, you know, so being able to integrate um, that into like live aspects of social media. Um, And then I think just more video content in general. Um, so if that's not something that you're doing now, I would say in some way, shape or form, um, try to get more into video. And once again, could that oversaturate, oversaturate the market possibly, but once again, it's only, even if people try to do it, not everyone's going to be good at it. So it's really only the people that end up being good at it are going to be able to use that as a marketing tool. But if it's something that you think you can have in your arsenal, then go for it. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, before we wrap this up, um, I want to ask you a question that I ask everyone who comes on the show. Um, what does influence mean to you? So to me, it means to like interact with your audience, but also have your audience want to come to you on a regular basis for, 
for something for, let's say you're a food blogger, that audience person or that follower is going to want to go to your page. And even if you don't pop up in in their feed, they're going to search you out and they're going to want to go to your page on a regular basis because they know that every day, every week, whatever it is, like they can learn something from you. So to me, it's about relating to your audience, but also educating them and having them want to come back to you on a regular basis because they know that there's going to be some sort of takeaway, whether it's a a new recipe, whether it's a travel tip, whether it's, you know, if you're a music lover and you're a music blogger, they know that once a week you're going to be interviewing a cool band, whatever it is to be repetitive about it and regular about it because your audience is going to know that they can learn something from you on a regular basis, but also not being too high on a pedestal because I think an influencer is somebody that influences you, but you can also relate to them. And I feel like if somebody's kind of removing themselves too much and doesn't seem very relatable, it's hard to influence people when they can't relate to you. Absolutely. That's a great point. Um, Okay. Well, before we leave, I want you to share with everyone where they can find you online, on socials and all the above. Well, it's pretty easy and across the board. It's at Eat Travel Rock on Instagram and Twitter and eattravelrock.com is my website. And then on YouTube, um, same thing, just Eat Travel Rock. And there's a lot of content out there. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us today. I think that you touched on some points in a really kind of different way, um, in a refreshing way that we haven't had on the show so far. So I think that there's going to be a lot of takeaways on here that the listeners are just going to eat up. So thank you so much for that. And if you are listening today and you want to dive into some of these great tips that Kelly drove home for us, you can check the show notes out and all the other good stuff over on on the Influencer Podcast website, which is www.theinfluencerpodcast.com. Again, Kelly, thank you so much. And I can't wait to see how Switzerland is. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Julie. Such an honor to be on your podcast. Are you ready to create your own industry-leading influence? For show notes, downloads, and action-based tips, head to www.theinfluencerpodcast.com where you can find out more about this week's episode, guest, and our host, Julie Solomon. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please take a minute to go to iTunes and leave a review so we can help other influencers like yourself build their own successful business.